Hey, y'all. I'm Bonnie. I'm Jason. And this is Real Life with a Couple of Therapists. So, Jason, what are we going to be talking about tonight? Well, New Year's. Okay. And our resolution. Okay. Right? Something like that. Yeah. Or we were talking about resolutions. Right. We were, yeah. So, we got talking about this time of year and how, I know, I don't know how about you with clients, but I know around this time of the year, I start talking a lot about goals and how resolutions are crap, but it's not a bad time to inventory and set some goals of the difference between resolutions. And, and I know I do a lot of talk with clients about how you actually do make changes Mm -hmm. and why resolutions don't work and other strategies that you can use to that are effective for making change so do you find yourself doing that too yes and i and i think it's like i don't think resolutions the idea of them is bad i mean they're good right that like that part of it where we're we're seeing that we want to change something and and we're looking at the consequences of what we're doing now and we don't like it and then we want to do something different right like that part's good but the actual change process Right. Usually, you know, it usually fails or, you know, we have trouble with that. Yeah. It's the way we, the way we do quote unquote New Year's resolutions where we're like, I'm going to change everything in my life. Um, you know, I'm going to go from being an extremely unhealthy person to an extremely healthy person overnight. Like, yeah, that tends to be very ineffective. So, yeah, it's just kind of hard to do. And, so we were going to talk about, you know, I wanted, I, I, I was kind of looking at doing two things. Well, you know, one is I've wanted to talk about behavioral activation. Right. And I think this is a good time to bring it up. Right. Because that is a strategy for change that is evidence-based and um, more effective. Correct. I think so. Okay. I, I, or I think it's it's one way that that we can effectively and systematically uh try to address behavior or change behaviors right so i kind of want to talk about what what that is Mm -hmm. and and what and how that might work better okay um you know i I don't want to just sort of haphazardly like you're going to make a behavior activation plan you could try Mm -hmm. you know you could do that but also just for clinicians I, i wanted to bring it up and talk about it because it's something that's that we usually think of as far as CBT goes, you right. know, cognitive therapy. And, um, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of clinicians that have that, that, you know, it's kind of become kind of boring and um, something that's just not really, I don't feel like it's utilized as much anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not as sexy. No. As some of the other right. interventions. Yeah, so I, I kind of wanted to talk about it. And now, and that's the thing. It's that's my. I don't know if that's true or not. I just know that, right. that in my experience, what I've seen uh, with with colleagues is is that it's just um, a lot of. There's a lot of negative uh, talk about it, about okay. cognitive therapy and and CBT and, and behavioral activation because it's it's somewhat cold. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, there's, you know, there there is just, I just hear a lot of criticism about it. So okay. I wanted to talk about it. 
today because I, I think there is a place for it. And I think it's uh, from, you know, the last 10 years of um, licensed practice, it's been a really effective tool that okay. I've used. That sounds good. Especially to address depression. Right. So. Okay. And that's it. Um, we have not done a lot of chatting about this which I've done intentionally because I kind of wanted to, um, you know, a lot of times we do a, a lot of prep work before we go into these episodes and we kind of know what we're going to talk about and we kind of know what the structure is. And, um, but I kind of, because this is something that I don't know that much about, I would say that I fall into the category that you were talking about. When I think of behavior activation, I think of it as an intervention within CBT or cognitive behavior therapy. So I kind of wanted to come into it cold and just hear and be able to react and respond to what you're saying. Right. At, okay. With with like fresh, with a fresh perspective. Okay. So, um. So yeah, so I'll be trying to give you my honest feedback, and also like I I do know about some of it from, um, you know, as somebody who has depression. So right. also kind of listening, not only as somebody who, um, might be using this in my own practice, but be using it in my own work. Right. So. Well, and what how I've seen it often used is with a lot of therapists that we have some sort of treatment plan that we're working on some sort of goals. And then we just sort of have like this side homework type of thing. And, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like used as a homework assignment. Mm -hmm. Okay. The, here's your behavioral activation plan. You know, what are you going to do this week? Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and it's, um, it's actually a, a brief therapy that, uh, is a standalone model. Okay. Um, it has, it had been integrated as, as part of, CBT like during the Aaron Beck um you know so Aaron Beck you know made he was the, the like the did like CT the, you know cognitive therapy and then you know it, it moved into the cognitive behavioral therapy and that that was sort of a component that got rolled in right and you but know he so didn't invent it is what I'm no, hearing you say right yeah um so if you look at like cognitive therapy so what what are the what are the sort of the goals of cognitive therapy we're, we're looking at, you know, therapy, trying to uh, thought restructuring mm -hmm. thought, um, like uh, fallacies. Um, we're looking at, at understanding how our thoughts influence our, our feelings, which influence our behavior. And then we're looking at challenging thoughts and understanding those fallacies that were yeah yeah so uh, sort of an aim to to get our thinking to be more flexible right right and more realistic mm -hmm. yes yeah so that that's sort of the the aim the, and the behavioral component is to to move towards action that is you know basically in, in line with our values right and results hopefully those those behaviors will result in a change of our attitude or our perspective. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause like Lenahan who did dialectic behavior therapy, which is like third wave and based on CBT, she says that you cannot think your way into new ways 
of acting, you have to act your way into new ways of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and there's been a is, few. I mean, I think that's that's overly simplified, but yes. Yeah. Or another one. And I'm not sure who said this, but it's like, you know, the the head teaches the hands or or the hands teach the head. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that sort of thing about how yeah. action, you know, is a lot of times putting action first can, right, can yeah. change how we feel about stuff instead of waiting for the other way around. Right, which is what we've kind of thought, talked about with ACT, too, the acceptance and commitment therapy, which is another third wave um, and based on CBT, but kind of what we've talked about, like, building confidence. I, I like to use it in, in, the, in the, the realm of confidence because that one makes kind of a lot of sense. Like, if you want to be confident at – if you want to be a confident softball player, you can't think your way into being a confident softball player you can't sit on the couch and think your way into being a confident softball player you actually have to go out and be an incompetent softball player and build the skills and overcome and become confident and that's how you build the confidence through the behavior and the action and not through you know necessarily affirmations right so yeah you know and uh, another thing i love about our little podcast project here is what it's really doing for me is getting me to dust off some of the old books that I've had, right. you know, and, and a lot, you know, like with the one we did with the uh, bedtime problems so right. far, but behavioral activation is one of the, one of the first things I started to learn about when I started to do psychotherapy. Right. And so one of the books that I, I you know, had, I had it on PDF. Um, I bought it. Don't okay. worry, it wasn't. Wasn't, no, I know. wasn't pirated. Okay, good. Uh, no, but um, but I got it in print because I, I wanted it, and it's the behavioral activation for depression clinician's guide. Okay, and we can and link that in the show notes. Right, that's one that you recommend if somebody wants to learn more about this. Yes, yeah. Okay. So, um, one of the things that, you know, so a lot of what I want to talk about is just because I I, I feel like they the authors really outlined a good history and basis of, of of the foundation of behavioral activation okay okay um so one thing that i i want to first talk about so they you know this this kind of work for behavioral activation was really taken off in the 70s okay all right and and since then it has there's been a ton of research on it and they did this um component analysis okay okay do you like, what is that what's the component analysis um so a, a component analysis design so it's a, like a type of test where you're trying to look at something like a, a therapeutic model or a therapeutic intervention and try to like look at which steps or which parts of that are um the most effective okay Okay, so they they did this with CBT. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that what they did was they took a group. This is in the '90s. And they they took 150 uh, patients with depression, and they had the same group of therapists administer, but they broke them up into three parts. So in one part, they did just the behavioral activation. Okay. That's all they did. The second part, they did the behavioral activation and then cognitive restructuring. Okay. Okay. And then uh, cognitive restructuring um, towards cognitive restructuring of automatic thoughts. Okay. And then the third group 
it was behavior activation, the cognitive restructuring of automatic thoughts, and then cognitive restructuring of core beliefs. So okay. that, that last one is the full CBT package. Right. Okay. So they, they did, they broke up all three, did that for a period of time. So which do you think was the most effective? Um, given the topic of tonight's podcast, I'm going to say it was behavior activation. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. Oh, it wasn't? No. Okay. They were all the same. Oh, they were all the same. Right. Oh, interesting. Right. So that, that really threw everyone for a loop. And uh, and so there was, you know, it's peer review, right? So a lot of people were looking at that and they thought, okay, well, yeah, yeah. Something you know, must have things, gone wrong. Well, one of the things I thought about was, well, okay, you have you have the same therapists all doing three different types of therapy. Like maybe they sort of, you know, how do you, how do you separate those things? Maybe they didn't do such a great job. Right. Maybe it was like all the same. Yeah. You know, who knows? But anyway, it, it sort of looked, they, they looked at that. And so they started testing that extensively and, or more extensively, I suppose, and trying to look at these components. And it drove uh, sort of a resurgence for um, research into behavioral activation. Because if that right. component alone is that effective, then, well, wouldn't it be easier just to do that? Right. Well, and I would think that you wouldn't necessarily need, you might be able to do that with, um, you know, a QP. Like you, you might not need a licensed person to do behavior activation. Mm. Like I could totally see the MCOs being like, Ooh, we can pay somebody cheaper to sure. do that. So, yeah. um, yeah, but, no. I mean, I, and I still think, um, you know, just, like I said, we didn't discuss this beforehand, so I'm just kind of talking off the cuff here. But that we we also know that the you know the therapeutic relationship is so such a big part of what makes therapy work. So I wonder if that plays in too, because the therapeutic relationship would be consistent across all three models. Mm, um, right. If that plays in at all. Sure. So yeah. That could be a confound. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, let's look at uh, uh, what behavioral activation is, is all about. Okay. Okay, so we're going to start, um, and this, you know, coming from that that book I mentioned, um, I liked, I liked their breakdown. I thought it was pretty good. Okay. Um, so Charles Furster in the 70s, so um, he looked at basically, basically what he, what he came up with, and I know I'm not doing this justice, I'm really... Summing this up quick. I don't know. Okay. Um, But basically. So if you are still alive, we're sorry for. uh, Yeah, for really minimizing and oversimplifying your work. (laughs) work. But, you know, for the sake of. uh, And if you'd like to come on our podcast, we would be happy to have you on to explain it in better detail. Right. So that. But to make it quick, um, what I got from this was that uh, people with depression are are in a place where they are um their their action reinforces negative beliefs and it is no longer reinforcing positive ones yeah i i i call that the death spiral because that's definitely what happens when i get into depression right so we are we are now taking action in our daily lives where we're trying to avoid the bad feelings Staying away from people, sleeping more so we don't have to be outside. Mm-hmm. Right? We're avoiding tasks. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I start getting depressed. I'm overwhelmed. 
I'm tired. So I sleep more and I avoid things like cleaning, organizing, you know, facing tasks that I need to do. Going out with then friends. Going out with friends. Yeah. Then I get, then that makes me more behind. So my house gets more out of control. The laundry's out of control. My friends are, you know, I've got more unread text messages. And then that just increases the overwhelm, which leads to more avoidance, which leads to more overwhelm, which leads to more avoidance. And it just becomes a negative feedback loop. Right. And it's so subtle. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like you're purposely like, okay, how can I, how can I recreate my life to where I'm just doing things that uh, make me feel bad? Right. Yeah. You know, we're just, we're just trying to survive. And, and so it's a slow sort of mm-hmm. progression often, you know, yeah. where, where we start to withdraw. And, and so what we just find is that most of our action, we're just kind of controlled by trying to avoid. Yeah. Right. Definitely. And then it's, we find that the things that, the action in our life that brings us value or a sense of value is no longer happening. Right. Yeah. Cause then I'm, uh, you know, I find myself falling into my phone more, doing more distraction and avoidance. The okay. only thing that feels like it's bringing me joy is, you know, doom scrolling or, right. You know, watching stuff on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So then, then we move to, uh, Peter Lewinson. Okay. Okay. So this is um, about response contingency. So response what, contingency. What yeah. So basically that. Um, so, okay. So contingency means that the reinforcement is contingent on action. Okay. Okay. So unlike a, a reinforcement of something that, you know, doesn't happen. So we have to actually do something, take some sort of action, and then we get a reinforcement. That's a that's a contingency. Okay. Okay. You've heard of that, like in the behavior analysis stuff. Mm-hmm. Remember that from RBT? Barely. Okay. I've slept since then. All right. So. But when I think about contingency, I think about like contingency contracts on a house where like you put in an offer, but it's contingent on your house selling. Sure. Yeah. So. So it's contingent. Yeah, it's on... contingent on something else happening. R- right. So basically what, what he did was, what Lewinson did was kind of take it a step further. And the lack of uh, contingent, uh, response contingent positive reinforcement is the problem with depression. Okay. okay? So what that can look like is, you know, so um, we're, you know, we're in a relationship. And so I make an effort to try to talk to you. Like, let's say we've gone through a period where we're not talking anymore. Okay. And then... You um, ignore that or don't respond. Okay. Right. Or even worse, you punish it by saying I'm I'm needy or right. something. Right. That that lack of of that response contingent reward mm-hmm. is going to drive me further toward avoidance. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. That that's and then. So that's kind of the the, the founding idea so if that's the idea then well maybe we need to start increasing um the the, those types of behaviors that get that positive reward okay yeah that makes sense yeah so yeah and that's what what it's i I think to sum it up i know it's it's a little more complicated but i think that's pretty much the gist of of what we're trying to do here okay because depression is the lack of that Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
so you've got to break out of that that yeah that's because i've drawn that for people before to show like the negative feedback loop that you get into Mm -hmm. and that if you just continue on that if you continue following along with the things that your brain and your body is telling you is going to help it actually makes it worse so you there's got to be some sort of concerted effort to break out of that and it's it's usually something that seems counterintuitive right or at least doesn't yeah we we can't base it on our feelings yeah it's not you got to do something that's like i tell people all the time that when you're the things you need to do the most when you're depressed are the things you want to do the least at least me right yeah so um, it's all the things i'm trying to avoid so Lewinson also uh, looked at how the importance of, uh, and this is one I know you you know from RBT work is mm-hmm. where we need to look at the function of behavior. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and 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 not look at it as a, a moral thing or what's right or what's wrong, but just non-judgmentally looking at behavior and looking at is this an a, a depressant you know, a, a depressant or an antidepressant behavior. Right, yeah. Okay, and and if we can start to break it down that way, mm-hmm. then that's going to help. So when Eric Beck comes in with, with CT and then CBT is being developed, where we, we can we can use that, uh, and this is how I interpreted how this happened, uh, is that basically Beck helped to apply the ABC, that antecedent behavior, behavior consequence, consequence yep. as a way to to sort of like efficiently help to break that down. Yeah. To understand depression and understand what, because in, in, in behave in um, behavioral theories, we, we believe that if a, if something is be, if something is continuing, if a behavior is happening, then something is sustaining it. Yes. Something is reinforcing it or sustaining it. There is a function to that behavior. Just like, because we've talked about that with substance use. Mm -hmm. That nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what I'd really like to do? I'd like to become addicted to an illegal substance. I'd like to have all of these physical ramifications and lose my children to DSS. Like nobody's like, that sounds like a really good idea. Right. So there's something that is re- that is sustaining that behavior. Yeah. So depressive behavior is often um, self-sabotaging. It's often not, it's not healthy behavior. I know when I'm in a depressive state, I'm not doing the things that I need to do. So finding out what the function, like what's sustaining that, what's keeping that behavior, um, what's reinforcing that behavior is important to find out. And I like what you talked about, about like moral neutrality, because I've, I've been hearing that a lot for a couple of different things. Like um, um, there's a, a TikToker that I follow who talks about it with um, care tasks, like cleaning and showering and hygiene and stuff that those are morally neutral tasks. Like you're not a good person. If you do them, you're not a bad person. If you don't, and it needs to be looked at, you need to look at the functioning. Like, is your is your home functioning? Is your mm-hmm. hygiene functioning? Like, 
yeah, like we have so much, and I think that's what, um, you know, where we get a lot of the stigma around right. mental illness because we moralize these things. We we apply moral morality to them. Right. So yeah, if we can step back and 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 eliminate that morality and just look at what's what's functioning, what's not functioning. Right. So there's there's ten core principles. Okay. Of Behavior activation. Activation. Okay. Okay. So the first one is that the key to changing how we feel is changing what we do. Okay. Not the other way around. Not the other way around. So action is what will make us feel better. That's how I've always seen that. Yeah, definitely. We're always waiting. We want it to be the other way. Yeah. We want to feel better and then we take action. I'm going to binge Netflix until I feel better and then I'm going to do something. Right. Or I'm going to wait till I want to go see my friends and then I'm going to go see them. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Second one is that oftentimes short-term strategies that we use to make us feel better are often reinforcing the depression. Yeah. 100%. Right. Yep. All right. Number three, the clues to finding the behaviors that are going to be helpful to us are in the ABCs. Okay. All right. So that behavioral active, the, the behavioral, um, the antecedent, the antecedent behavior, behavior consequence. consequence okay. Right? So that, that is the key when we're sitting here trying to figure out, well, what behaviors do I need to do that are going to actually help me with depression? We got to use that. Okay. Okay. So that. I, I figure you're going to get to this in a little. Are you going to expound on that in a little bit? Yes. Okay. Then I'll hold that question. Okay. All right. So the fourth one is that the structure of the treatment is based on a plan and not mood. Right. Yeah. Ugh. Right. This is the part that I think that most therapists have trouble with. Is mm-hmm. is that we we've we've got to make this a plan despite the mood we have in front of us, right? Yeah, you know, and and a lot of times, you know, there's 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 stuff that goes against that, you know. The well, and important... I I think it's also like a lot of t- I like I don't like to be very directive with what with clients, um, so it seems like this is a lot more directive mm-hmm. and telling people what they should and, and need to do right. versus. Yeah, so it's a little bit different. It's a different approach that I think a lot of therapists it are is. are like drawn to. Right. Okay. So. And then next is that change is easiest when uh, we start small. Okay, that makes sense. Which back to the New Year's resolutions, I think, is one of the downfalls of resolutions. That's the biggest part. Yeah. I think is that we try to change too much, too fast, all right. at once. Okay. Um. We need to emphasize behaviors that are naturally reinforcing. Okay, so okay. we we want we got to do those ABCs, and we got to see that these behaviors the behaviors that that can sort of reinforce themselves. Okay, are going to be much more Eat. sustainable. Okay, than ones that are like long term. So, for example, you know what I think of is like. Uh, something like the Dave Ramsey debt payoff, right? Mm-hmm. That's where we're trying to 
when you think about, okay, paying off all this debt and how right. hard that can be and how overwhelming that can feel, well, I'll just take all the money I have, not buy stuff, not, not get things and just pay this debt off. That's not very reinforcing, mm-hmm. right? Because the reinforcement is for a long term, like it's far off. Yeah. But I know with that part of that plan, that's why part of the natural reinforcing part of that plan is the snowball, right? Right. So you, you, you pay don't off. play out, you don't pay off the one with the biggest. Right. Even uh, if it has a higher has, interest rate. Right. Yeah. 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 Right? You pay the one with the lowest balance mm-hmm. so, because success breeds success. Yes. So it's more reinforcing. Can, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So natural, anything that we can find that's naturally, we want to look for that. Right. Well, and I'll, I'll say, you know, we'll probably talk more about this later. Like that's why. A lot of times when I'm working with a client that's depressed, if I can get them out of the depressive, that's one of the things that I do once they start feeling better. It's like, all right, now we need to make a list of all the stuff that's naturally reinforcing because it's really hard to think about those things when you're in that depressive state. And I, so I take advantage of any time that they are feeling better to try to identify those things that are naturally reinforcing mm-hmm. for them so that we can make a list. And we can have a toolbox so that the next time they go into an episode, we have a vetted list of things that are naturally reinforcing for right. them. Okay. So next is uh, the therapist needs to be compassionate. Yeah. Right. I think that's, eh, I guess you could say it's obvious, but I, I think we're also looking at rapport, you know, the, yeah. the, the importance of rapport building um, mm-hmm. because we it's it's a balance because we do need to be very systematic here because we're mm-hmm. not basing this on mood and how you feel about it in the moment. But at the same time, we have to be compassionate. So it can be yeah. kind of a tightrope. And this is, I think that's where, uh, you know, just being a good clinician over time, you know, we develop that over time. How yeah, you got to know how far you can push. And I think that's one of the, and I'll just be real honest here. It, I think that's one of the things where we struggle well, part of it's because you're not my clinician <laughs> and um, that's yes. important. <laughs> um, and that's why you could never be my clinician. I don't want um, to And you don't want to be. Um, and that's why I pay mine very good money. She's excellent. Um, but because you're, it's really hard for me to take that direction from mm-hmm. you um, in those, in those, in those times when it's real bad and you start like I can see you creating a behavioral activation plan in your head for me and then trying (laughs) to give it to me and I'm like in a loving and compassionate way in what you think is a loving and compassionate way and it just makes me want to flip you off right (laughs) you know it 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 does the opposite um but again that's why that's one of the challenges of having this knowledge because you know what I need to do. But unfortunately you're not the person who can help me do that. Right. So. Okay. So the next one is. So don't use this on your partners. Right. (laughs) Don't take this information and try to use it on your partners. So we want to emphasize a problem solving and empirical approach. Okay. Say more things about that. That. When we, when we look at a plan and making a behavior activation plan, we want to look at this non-judgmentally about, oh, that was, you know, this is good, this is bad. And instead, 
like what was the result right oh, okay i see what you're saying so yeah. it's more like it's like, more like let's do an experiment all all results are useful oh right 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 yeah, right yeah, yeah. like even fail you know quote-unquote failure is good right because right. then we learn something yeah. about the behavior yeah so if we we're trying to help them look at it that way too we're trying to change that perspective it's not that you're a bad person and that's why you couldn't go out and walk for 20 minutes it might be something else Right. Maybe 20 minutes was too much. Right. Maybe, Maybe during that time. Should, yeah. 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 That's, um, and I know that clients, I, as a, as a client, but then also as a, as a, um, professional, like the times when my clients are not doing well is the times when they cancel on me the most mm-hmm. and they want to avoid me. And that's when I need to see them the most. Right. Because, I, we need to be looking at what are the barriers, you know, and and creating that rapport with people so they feel comfortable coming in when they're not doing well and knowing that I'm not going to shame them and I'm not going to be judgmental and I'm going to be like, okay, awesome, well, let's talk about the barriers. You know, the, something about barriers has really changed things for me because it really has it helped me communicate things in a non-judgmental mm-hmm. way. So it's not like, okay, well, why didn't you do that? Right. It's okay. What got in the way of you doing what I know you wanted to do? Well, and you just, you just named one of one of the last ones, okay. right? Which is, which is uh troubleshoot possible and actual barriers. Right. right? Yeah. We got, we got to look at that. Well, and that's part of CBT too, is like, you're, you're looking at, you're trying to anticipate the barriers and how might you, um, you know, over, you know, work with those. Right. So, yeah. Yep. And then, so the last one is to listen, understand, and stay action-oriented. Right, yeah. So what can we do about that? So right. what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. What does that make you want to do? Right. Right. Keeping it really about action, less about how Feelings. we feel about it, more yeah. about action, right? Yeah. So... So those are the 10 core principles and I, and I, I really like those. Yeah. You know, I think those, um, that, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm, I think one of the things like when you look at that component, um, analysis design, one of the things that, one of the things that I feel is that like when, the, when we're trying to look at treatment models and components of treatment models, this is my opinion, but I, but I really think, that it may just depend on the therapist and what they're best at, right? So you could have oh, people yeah, with different yeah, models yeah. that are effectively able to use and conceptualize through that model, and right. you're going to see some pretty good success with it, right? Versus someone who's you know not so comfortable with it and and not able to use it, uh, you know, as competently. So I, I really yeah. think that's so. Anyway, for me, I just know for me, this is one I can easily wrap my head around. A lot better. Yeah, and I'll note, I like when I first met you, and you started talking about CBT and the way you use, like you you approach therapy in a different way than I had experienced it as a as a client. Um, it you definitely were not as touchy feely. You were not as um. You were much more action oriented, mm. much more and looking at the function models, of behavior, function of behavior, yeah. um, 
And at first I found that to be very, um, uh, cold, cold. Yeah. Um, and then I've really begun to see the advantage of that, you know, when you were like, it doesn't really, the past doesn't really matter. Like we don't need to know where all this stuff came from. We don't need to, you know, it's, it's really kind of irrelevant and um and at first that was like that's not that can't be true like what what are you talking about and then the more I've understood it and the more I've you know gone through school and learned about different models I really can see the balance in that and the place where that is very effective mm-hmm. um you know this really kind of I think this this goes really well with you know brief solutions focused yeah models um and where and some stuff with like family therapy too like the the brief solutions focused with families where it's like we i mean we can talk in circles about how we got here right and whose fault it is and who was who did it and but that doesn't change anything it doesn't change what we're going to do to get out of it so right um i do think that there's definitely a place for this and um... yeah well and and one of my my personal beliefs is that you know looking at that at that design or that uh when when they did that design um analysis Mm -hmm. and they looked at the three different components right so what i think and i could be wrong but i think that the behavioral activation part if we could do that successfully the cognitive restructuring will happen on its own. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think our brains are completely capable without a therapist to see things differently, but we need action to do it. Well, it it reminds me a lot of that um, neuroplasticity. Right. The the concept of neuroplasticity mm-hmm. and that the action, it, it sounds like the action is what was, I see, I would be really interested to see if you looked at, just behavioral activation and just cognitive restructuring and just core belief restructuring um, or cognitive restructuring of automatic beliefs and cognitive restructuring of core beliefs. If you looked at those pieces individually, all separately, all separately if, how, what, what, what would happen? Right. Because I wonder if that behavioral activation is what is actually um, affecting the neuroplasticity. Right. And, um, because I know, like, I can, you know, I, I have some pretty, some pretty deep rutted, um, neuro pathways around codependency, around, um, prioritizing other people's, um, needs above my own. And I can restructure those thoughts all day long, but until I actually, in a physical way, in an action-oriented way prioritize my own needs because I can think my needs are important my needs are important my needs are important Mm -hmm. but until I am in a position where I am actually having to say say no to something yes and take action that action to prioritize my own needs then it doesn't actually redo those pathways that's right so yeah yeah. I'm with you I would I I, you know it has to come down to action yeah definitely right okay so 
because right. I can sit and talk in therapy and talk in therapy and talk in therapy and talk in therapy. But when I get into a position where two pe- two sets of needs are being are at play, that's where the change has to actually happen. Right. And I don't I really don't necessarily need to know how why I prioritize other people's needs. Right. I just need to start prioritizing my own needs. Right. In yeah. action oriented ways. Yeah. And I and I and personally I think all three are good and, and necessary. Yeah. But but I, I guess what I where, where I'm trying to go is that I, I think that the cognitive restructuring that we could do the we do this all the time without a therapist. Right. We are cognitively restructuring. I mean, take any food that you've ever eaten that you didn't used to like and then you liked again. You had a cognitive restructuring after that. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to happen on its own, but a lot of times if we can we can help people with doing that. Right. right? And target it. Yeah. And and do that on top of or with or in conjunction with doing the behavior. Yeah. And, and that can help a lot. That's what I found to be helpful is if I can under, cause I really did, I, I've spent years on therapist couches feeling like if I could just say the magic words, if they could say the magic words, if we could, you know, if I could remember the magic memory that was causing the pain and suffering in my life, you just feel better. It, I would walk <laughs> out the door and my life would be different. Yes. And I find, and you're really the one who helped me realize that that's not the way neuroplasticity works. Right. Like, you you can talk about it all day long, and you can understand that this is um, unhealthy or, um, you know, whatever. But it's still embedded. You still have that rut in the brain. Right. And until you begin to change that, um, I do think that I. I the way I tend to work is kind of a combination of those things. Like um, if we can understand where these came from, I think it makes it a little bit easier Mm -hmm. because you can talk yourself, you know, into that when you're in that choice point where you're in that moment where you're having to engage in a behavior that is new. If you have that information of, I, you know, I came to this from this unhealthy place this is actually the more healthy behavior that it's a little bit easier to trigger and to, to well, do that. But yeah. You, because we're not, gonna... we're not robots. So, I mean, the, that's the part of the problem. It's, it's almost oversimplifying to just say, Hey, just take the action. Well, right, if yeah. we could, we would. Right. Yeah. What's getting in the way of the action? Well, the thinking is right. right so it's yeah. kind of a chicken or the egg thing, but you know, but I think the action, we need to have the action. Yes. And, and I I do feel like we've kind of, we we swung to kind of a um out too far in that if we can just sit and talk and think right. then the action will come and that's not like like Lenahan says we cannot think our way into new ways mm-hmm. of behaving right yeah so, we can talk about our strengths all we want but we got to see them in motion right right right, right. and if you're in a position where the person either doesn't know like really cannot you know, doesn't have, maybe doesn't have the insight into being able to figure that out or just has absolutely no interest in doing that. That doesn't mean you can't work with them. Mm -hmm. That's what I've learned is that I can still help people even if they don't have the insight or the interest in going back into the past and figuring out how we got here, which I do think there is some, um, 
you know, some um, uh, benefit too. Sure. But that doesn't mean we we can't do anything. Right. We could just simply do this. All right. So let's talk about what a what behavioral activation treatment actually looks like. Okay. All right. So in its purest form, it, it is a brief uh, therapy. So it's about 10 sessions. Okay. And there's a lot of uh, behavior tracking, scheduling, and scaling. Okay. So we are we are taking we're usually looking at our week. We generally do it by the week. Okay. And we're breaking it down hour to hour. Okay. And we start with an assessment usually of like what we're actually doing right now. Okay. And and that can be kind of tough. And we have to, a lot of times what we do when we start the treatment is we just, we don't do anything. We just observe. Like we're not making any changes, I should say. We're just, mm-hmm. we're just observing what's happening now. Because okay. if I say, all right, let's talk about what you did every hour last week. That might be tough for you to do. Right. And then some of your bias might get in the way and you would underemphasize some things, overemphasize others, right? So instead, we want to just start with, all right, let's do this week and see if we can really get down to how much uh, you brought this up. So this, this isn't coming from me, but like using the scrolling the phone. Right. Yeah. Right. How, how often do you do that? Uh, I don't know, hour a day. But maybe it's actually four, you know? Yeah. OK. So that kind well, of I thing. Mean, we've all done that at the doctor when they ask us how much we drink. Sure. How sure. much we yeah, you know, how how many hours of sleep do you get? Oh, right. You know, so this is yeah. why it's important to have a non-judgmental, like we're trying to talk to them about this in a way where we're non-judgmental about it, just observant. We're trying to learn from this. Yeah. Right. Like what is the, what, what is, um, I think I hear a lot. It's, it, that is, it's neither good nor bad. It yeah. just is. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're getting, we're getting that data and then we're looking at, all right, you know, what impact does this have on you? So we're scaling, right? Mm-hmm. Scale of one to 10. Does this affect your mood? Right. You know, positive or negative? Um, and then how much, how important is this in your life? You know, is this values driven? You know, right. so we're talking about values and, yep. that, and that sort of work. And so this is, you know, pre-act. We, yeah. We've been talking about values a while, right? So, right. you know, looking at like, is this behavior that is going to be uh, that is going to improve your life. So I can have things that, so when you scale these things and you look at them, a lot of times you can have behavior that is pleasurable, but does not have value in my life. Right. Right. So, you know, scrolling, the phone. scrolling the phone, I can have behaviors that are important in my life, but have very little pleasure. Doing the dishes, going to work every day, doing the dishes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we want to find stuff that's got, we need both. And, you know, if we can find something that's naturally reinforcing, it would have both, you know, it'd be high on both of those uh, measurements. Okay. That makes a lot of sense because one of the things that I have found for my, um, my own wellness um, plan is making the bed. Like yes. that is one of those things because it actually is high value high pleasure mm-hmm. versus like doing the dishes, which is high value, but, but pretty low pleasure. Right. My bed, like I have bedding that I really like. It's really pretty. 
Um, you know, I like to open the windows when I make the bed. So that's one thing that I can look at and go, okay, I don't want to do this, but I know that it is going to make me feel better. Right. So, yeah. So we're, we're, so what we start doing is, okay, so we've got the daily life stuff. Then after that, what we start doing is making a list Mm -hmm. and we start making a list of like what activities would have, would hit those two numbers the highest. Right. Okay. Let's, and, and some of them are not going to be high on pleasure and they're going to be high on importance. And some are going to be high on pleasure and not importance. Like it's all part of life. Right. Right, Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you might have something like, um, you know, like I can think of, you know, reading a book would be high on pleasure and it wouldn't be really high on importance, but it's, it's different than scrolling my phone. Sure. You know, it, it, it's an activity that, oh, um, crocheting. Right. That's really in my, like, it's, it, it's not necessarily high importance as far as, like, my life can survive without it, but it makes me feel accomplished. Well, that would it, be important. Yeah. It yeah, makes the, me feel. It's value driven. It's value driven. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we would consider, you yeah. would consider that as, as importance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, so what we can have though is we may find on that list and what here's where resolutions versus this can be in conflict. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes we're going to have something that we believe will be like, let's say if I wanted to run Mm -hmm. three times a week and I don't run at all right now. Right. So you could look at that and say, well, I, from what I understand, you know, when I was 20 years ago, I ran and that gave me a sense of pleasure. Like it felt good. And it was important in my life. Like it's good for my health. Mm-hmm. But if I do it now, that pleasure is going to be like zero because I'm going to be in pain. Right. So there may be things that we have to build up to in order for okay, it to become yes. this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we need to like look at that and structure. This is the part of the barriers. Right. So we have to do step activities that, that get us towards that direction. Right. So if it's been yeah. 10 years where I've been on the couch, we may need to do like starting with small amounts of walking. Right. right? And so we're working toward a goal. Right. Or, you know, of, of getting there. Right. Which, like you said, with the resolutions, that's why everybody joins the gym January right. 1. And then by mid-February, it's empty again. Right. Because we've all tried, we've all bitten off more than we can chew. So there's, and and this is not, you you know, here's the thing too. We cannot separate or just leave out the cognitive restructuring part. Right. Because that's part of this too. Because really, and it really comes with that, that step component. Oftentimes, what kind of thinking do we have when we're depressed? It's all or nothing, black and white thinking. So if I'm not running right now, then I'm not going to do anything. Right. Yeah. Like that doesn't make sense. It's stupid to walk. That's not going to do any good, right? That's a, yeah. that's a distorted, yeah, uh, depressive thought right there, right? Yeah. So we do need to be able to acknowledge and work with those thoughts, and that's why I'm sorry I didn't mean to. Oh, that's okay. Um, that's why one of the thing, one of the affirmations that you know, and I I kind of you know crapped on affirmations earlier, but and I don't feel like we can a- affirmation our way out of depression. But like you said, it all kind of works together because one of the things that I have found really helpful is, um, you know, I I was 
I was raised with that anything worth doing is worth doing right. Um, and that has led me to not do a lot of things. Right. So one of the affirmations that I heard a few years ago said, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly at first. And that has been really helpful for me. Right. Like, so that is okay, a, so that's I, a more flexible right. way of looking at it. Right? Yeah. Okay. So I am walking zero right now. I want to be walking a half an hour a day at 3.5, you know, miles an hour. And, but if I get on the treadmill and I can't do that, then doing five minutes or 10 minutes right. at two, 2.5, like it's worth doing quote unquote poorly. Yes. But because I'm doing it right, versus not doing it at all. Yes. So yeah, that's been one of those that, that I have had to use to remind myself like anything worth doing is worth doing poorly at first. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's the, that restructuring part that, mm-hmm. that we have to have in there. Right. And so what we are trying to do is just slowly um, implement. And usually we start with like, we, you know, we make that list. Okay. That I was talking about. And we just make an exhaustive list of all the behaviors we want to start including in our life. Okay. And then you look at your schedule that you've created. Generally, it has stuff that does not have these behaviors in them. Right. And we want to start putting them in. So now we start to prioritize that list. And usually what we would do is go with the easiest first. Or not the necessarily ones are, the most effective. Or the ones that are the highest pleasure, highest value. N- well, no, like you no, really it's, the easiest. It's the easiest, yeah. Because what we want, because a lot of times when we are stuck in, in doing these behavior, you know, like what Thurster, uh, Furster said about how we get stuck in this place where we're just controlled by, um, you know, negative reinforcing behaviors and avoidance mm-hmm. enforcing behaviors. Right. Then we need to start implementing stuff that we're going to actually do. Got it. Okay, so we need yeah. to actually do it first. And and so we slowly put things in that are easy and doable just okay. to get a little bit of momentum, right? That's because, why I really like making my bed. Yeah. Because it, it will give me so momentum. Right. It will, it it's, you know, I set it up such that if all you do is make the bed, then that's fine. But I know that generally by the time I'm done making the bed, I will have, some accomplishment i will be up and moving i will be off the couch i will be you know i'll have something to think you know focus my brain on besides the negative thoughts Mm -hmm. there's some sunlight usually a lot of times i'm like oh there's my diffuser on the side of the bed i think i'll turn that on right um and then it usually it usually leads to other things right Uh, one other thing i should mention too is that that in that pleasure scale it's also mastery like skill mastery Mm-hmm. It's not just feeling good. So anything that gives us a sense of accomplishment would yeah. also be in that scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that's so, what I like about the crocheting is that it's something that's right. It's easy, but it makes me feel like I've I've accomplished something with my time versus looking at an hour of you know an hour of crocheting while I'm listening to music or you know even just watching listening to a podcast or whatever versus an hour of laying on the couch right. scrolling. Is yeah. Very so if, if we can get some behaviors in there that give you a sense of accomplishment and pleasure, mm-hmm. that's that's naturally reinforcing. So right. 
I'll tell you some of the things that I've found myself. I mean, obviously, we're going off of what they want. Right. Okay. Um, but there's just some themes that I see. Right. Right. I, it's very rare to actually find someone who's depressed that does not feel like they are not taking care of their body. Like, right. Did I say that right? That doesn't feel like, yeah, that they are not taking care and they wish they were healthier, thinner, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we want some sort of action that works <coughs> in that direction. Okay. And so I often find myself uh, talking to them about cooking. Okay. And trying to cook uh, more. Okay. Okay. So a lot of people, some do cook, some don't, um, you know, sometimes they're kids and, you know, uh, but you know, learning a new recipe, mm. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, just something that's sort of expanding your knowledge. Yeah. Right. And something that can be pleasurable because you're eating it. And usually, mm-hmm. I mean, have you experienced this where, you know, it's one thing if you go to a restaurant, order something new. And you're like, oh, yeah, that was really good. And then something like you make it, you make a recipe, and you're like, oh, wow, that's really good. Mm-hmm. And you start to think, like, I could make this again, you know? Yeah. And oh, this is good. I want to add this to what we normally do. It just gives you this real positive sense. Mm-hmm. You notice Definitely. that? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, things like that, adding these actions, they're really small, they're compact. And it, it just can help to drive that momentum. Absolutely. Well, it, and when I think it, you know, when you say drive that momentum, it really makes me feel like breaking out of that, that, you know, it's, it's what breaks that negative feedback loop. Right. Yeah. You know, you're, you're making something, assuming you made something that's healthy, you're like, oh, well, you know, if I eat this, it's less calories or it's, you know, it's not fast food, you know, so it can, it can really, uh, help a lot. Um, you know, the, I think, man, how many times, I, I think nearly all the time, physical activity. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of the most common things. I mean, every once in a while, I, I will meet people that are highly physically active and depressed. Yeah. Okay. But for the most part, it, you know, so we're, we're and oftentimes we're starting from like zero, mm-hmm. so like no physical activity whatsoever. Um, mix that with like perfectionist type of thinking, all or nothing thinking. Yeah. And uh, this can be a tough one to break out of. So it's like, yeah, I, you know, I need to be, I need to be walking every day, like you said, or I need to be running, mm-hmm. but I'm doing nothing now and I haven't done any physical activity in a while. It's going to be hard to go from zero to your goal. Yeah. So it's like, okay, we got to start with something like, um, you know, like what, when I do, depending on where somebody lives, like walking around your house three times. Right. Yeah. Right. For five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, oh no, because I I don't have a treadmill. I need to I need to find a track. You know, all that kind of stuff. And you know, we'll have these that sort of co- those thoughts that get in the way, right? These are the barriers. Yeah. It's like no, just walk around circles in your house. You know, just something to get you moving. Mm-hmm. And what what I have found a lot when when people have that all or nothing thinking, what I actually do, and I'm not sure if this is if this is a good way to do it, but. Oftentimes what I'll say is like, okay, we're going to start with five minutes. Mm-hmm. Do not exceed five minutes. Right. Do not. You just stop. You have to make yourself stop at five minutes. Because yeah. what I find will happen is we'll start with five and they're like, oh, this ain't so bad. And then once you, you get up and you start walking, you're like, yeah, I can do this. And what, what was commonly happening is people are like, yeah, you know, it's great because I did it. Um, you know, I, start, I did five minutes the first day. The next day I did 15. The next day is 30. Now, when we continue, 
If they don't do 30, they failed. So they just stop. They can't just go to five. Yeah. I don't, so it's I, like. Yeah, I don't have a lot of. Uh, yeah. That's, um, I mean, they're constantly. Moderation is yeah, not yeah, one of my strong suits. They're constantly pushing up the the bar. until, And it's a, it's a form of sabotage. Right. Right. So instead, no, it's like, no, just do five. Fight the urge to do more. Yeah. Just do I, that. Now I, see how we feel about that. Uh. Right. Because I have a tendency to have a lot of um, motivation in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then I lose it. And and I, in fact, it's one of the things that I think is really helpful with our podcast. Because I know when we, you know, the first week or two we were doing this, we were like, oh, this is super fun. Let's bank a bunch of episodes. Let's, you know, oh, we did it last night. Let's do it again tonight. Like, that was really fun. And we fought that urge and I think that's what's allowed us to do more longevity because we didn't burn out in the first two weeks. Um, you know, we, we fought that urge and we were like, no, 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 we're going to do this on Saturday nights. This is going to be our Saturday night thing. We're not going to do 15 up front. And yeah, I think, I I think that's one of the things that's really been helpful for us with this. And I could probably do more, in other areas of my life because I do tend, you know, this happens at the beginning of the semester. You know, I have a lot of energy. Uh, it's something new. I'm like, I'm going to put everything in. I'm going to get really far ahead. And then I burn out right. and I don't, you know, have that longevity. Right. Okay. So, so behavioral activation, it's, you know, like all the other treatment models is, is not shy of having acronyms. Of course. Okay. So uh, action is an acronym, of course. Right, so this is this is sort of what we we focus on on doing what we're trying to accomplish. So first is to assess the function of the behavior. Okay. Okay, the one we want to do and the ones we're doing now. Okay. Right. Um, you know, so we want to we want to ask the questions like, how's this behavior serving you? What's the consequence? Um, does the behavior serve as a, as a depressant or an antidepressant? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, that's... so, like, and you would do that kind of with the the a back to the ABCs, right? Right. Like, mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk about that just a tiny bit because that has been super helpful with my own work with, you know, really learning about that. So, like, the ABCs are the antecedent, which is whatever um, precedes the behavior. Like, you know, the benign trigger. When, right. When I talk to. Um, you know, oftentimes when I'm talking to our kids about something that happened at school or something that they're telling me about, I'm oftentimes like, okay, wait, hold on, stop. Tell me what happened right before this thing that you're telling me. Right. Because that is the is the trigger or the antecedent or whatever. Like, right. okay, we need to understand. Okay, so you had a really hard day and you cried at school. Okay, tell me what happened right before you started crying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times we don't, we are, we so focus on the behavior that we oftentimes don't look at the antecedent or the trigger. Right. So that's the thing that like prompted the behavior. Yep. And then what happened right after, you know, we talk about this a lot with, um, with our youngest and difficult behaviors that we're trying to, um, to maybe change or shape like what happens right after the um you know he you know acts a fool 
Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, it's kind of hard with our youngest, continue. but well, because yeah. the B is it's the belief, right? It's the cognitive part, right? You know, yeah. like how do we see what happened? How do we, you know? Yeah, but a lot of times, what you'll find out is that he's getting something. Mm-hmm. You don't think he's getting something, but he's getting something. Like right. he's getting attention. Mm-hmm. even if it's negative and you're like you know and i've talked to parents about that before they're like well no but i yell at him and i'm like well but that gave him attention you know that's attention mm-hmm. so you know really looking at what happened right before the behavior that you're trying to change or shape and mm-hmm. what happened right after yeah, the consequence that will that will tell you a lot if that that will help you understand the function right. of the behavior yeah so yeah, so we we um, need to be able to break all everything down, all the behaviors down in this way, right? And look at it that sort of non-judgmental uh, way. All right? right. So action. That's a. So C is uh, choose choose an action that's value driven. Okay. And then T, which I will say is it, that is much harder when you are in a depressive state um mm-hmm. that's why when i come out of a depressive state like a lot of times people are like whoo that's over no 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 this is when you really need to do the work because it it's so much harder to do that that um wellness planning when you're in the depressive state so take advantage of those times when you are feeling well when your clients are feeling well to really dig into because that's when it's much easier to identify Mm -hmm. those behaviors that are going to be helpful Yeah. because when you're in a depressive state, you're like, nothing is going to help. Right. Nothing's going to help. Nothing's ever going to help. Nothing's ever helped in the past. Like, so that's really a good time to, um, you know, that's not the time to slack. And right. be like, oh, okay, well, I'm, you're you're doing good, great. I'll see you in, you know, more weeks, you know. Right. So really digging in, taking advantage of the times when you're feeling well to identify those behaviors that will be helpful. Right. Okay, so we, we assess the behavior, we choose an action, then T, we try the behavior. Right. And then we integrate it into our daily routine. Okay. Observe the results. Okay. And then we never give up. <laughs> so that that's what we're just that's the work we're doing on this plan, right? Okay. And what I've really seen is that this is this is the the when I work with clients, this is the thing that makes people feel better. Okay. Is when they are able to succeed at doing this. Yeah. Well, it 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 breaks that cycle. Yeah, it's the it's the only thing that I have ever experienced myself or seen in clients. It's the only thing that will break that negative feedback loop. And what I what I have seen is that this is really good for that depression that doesn't seem to like it, it's not a situational thing. Yeah, that happened. Right. You know, we're not grieving the loss of someone. Um, we didn't, you know, go bankrupt. Like those things tend to require some sort of. I mean, we can still use this, and and yeah. we can we can get into a depressive place where we're 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 having all of this happen. 
but I'm just trying to say like what I found is for some people that just seem to have episodic depressive episodes that just seem to to come on for what seems like no for, reason yeah. yeah and this just sort of happens this is the this is like the best treatment I've seen for that well and I think it's also really helpful when you're first starting to work with somebody and you don't know what's because as I've as as I've done this work more I have begun to realize what my triggers are for because I felt like that my depression seemed to come on for no reason it lifted for no reason like I, I it was very it was very mysterious and now I can see that a lot of times it's it's connected to trauma it's connected to you know, beginning to make choices and engage in a behavior that's against my values. Um, a lot of times for me, it has to do with like not prioritizing my own needs, not setting boundaries that I need to set. Like there is a trigger to it, but it's taken me a long time to figure that out. And this is something that you could do like that. Like we were saying, the brief short term, the brief solutions focused therapy you don't need to necessarily know what the trigger is to get somebody popped out of it get them some relief and then as you continue to work with them if you have the opportunity to go in and dig into that more but you don't have to know what the trigger for the depressive episode was Mm -hmm. um i'm beginning to see now that it's not nearly as mysterious as it used to be i can usually track it back to some point at which I st- I began to deviate from val- my values or something like that. But it doesn't change what I need to do. It's yeah. still, I still need to do this behavior activation stuff to get back into. It's just helped me kind of avoid those episodes. Right. Some in the future, but that's that future work that you can do. Like if you're, if you've got somebody who's deeply, deeply depressed, you, you really can't do that work. Well, and a lot of times, you you know, I'll, I'll work with people that they're stuck in this. It's part of their struggling with thoughts, like from right. the act perspective, where it's like, why am I so depressed? Why, why, why? I need to know why. Why? Why is this happening? And that's all. They're just stuck in that. Right. That struggle. Yeah. Like they need to, if they just knew why, then they could solve it. Which is not the case. Right. Because even if you know the why. Yeah, you still have you it. You still have to do this uh, this behavioral activation and it's something that you cannot get an answer for there's no way to have certainty of that right yeah right so you know it's ju- it, that's just a, a form of struggle mm-hmm. where we're staying entangled in thoughts yeah so instead let's just focus on action yeah right yeah this feels very um congruent with act it feels like it could go very very it, much hand in it's hand. one of the foundations of, act. of it, yeah, yeah. So, what's your? What's my take? What's your? Uh, do you have any plan for the new year as far as a mm. something you want to change or like a a behavior you're going to try to implement? Um. Well, I am trying to make. <coughs> excuse me. Um, I'm really trying to work on increasing my physical health. Um, it's gotten pretty out of control. So, um we've already been making some changes, but I am, you know, I am working with a, with a dietitian, um, and trying to implement some of this 
because my eating has been very disordered for most of my life. And um, so trying to do some of this with that, you know, trying not to be like, you know, because I have a tendency to yo-yo or crash diet or, um, you know, do a lot of restricting. So, you know, how do I begin to implement? How do I do this poorly? You know, I'm, you know, this is um, eating healthier is something that's important to me, something I want to do. So how do I do that? Um, so what's poorly? a concrete action? Well, take? one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm trying to eat breakfast. Right. Um, so, um, you know, I've worked with my dietitian, kind of found um, something that would work. You know, is it perfect? No. Is how, it... how pleasurable is that activity? Um, it's kind of, I guess it's a medium. Like, she helped me work to find something that was a better alternative. Um, I'm one of those people that, like, um, breakfast has, is the sweet. You know, I have this, like, breakfast is sweet kind of mindset. So instead of her saying, like, you know, sorry, that's not the way this should be. You're going to have to have, you know. Um, boiled eggs and sadness for breakfast um you know she helped me find some um healthier alternatives you know some um protein packed pancake cups and some sugar-free syrup and and stuff that you know something that I could really tell that she was listening she was doing that like solutions focused mm-hmm. stuff that well, I did, increasing like, the pleasure increasing the pleasure yeah right. she was trying to like pair something that that I would actually do that was mm-hmm. actually pleasurable right but was it um you know I feel like she's doing a lot of harm reduction right now you know mm-hmm. that was a better alternative and then also just trying to get that habit because I'm not somebody who eats breakfast I just you know jack my body up on caffeine and and hope for the best um so that's that's kind of the thing I'm focusing on right now and then trying not to just jump in full force with everything else that's not sustainable so right and then the other thing i want to do is i want to do some sort of physical exercise every day um or you know significant number of days a week so i'm trying to like okay i'm either going to get on the treadmill or i'm going to do you know we have these vr headsets um you know the beat saber and i'm going to do it every day like I'm not even going to set a timer for it like literally if I step on it and make it start that's going to count because I want to set the habit of it versus well I don't feel like I could do 30 minutes so I'm not going to do it at all okay well if you can't do 30 minutes then do three minutes you know so I, I think those are the two things that I'm really wanting to focus on for okay. the new year. So what about you? Um, You've made a lot of changes recently. Yeah. So you're you're already kind of headed in that direction. I'm trying to do 10,000 steps a day. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, it just depends on how busy the day gets. Right. You know, so I'm, I'm I have that perfectionist attitude also with it. Like when, like I feel like I, you know, if I don't do it one day, it just messed everything up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had, because, I mean, the last 30 days, I've, 
I've definitely walked every day. I've made it to where it's like 30 minutes a day on the treadmill, but trying to get 10,000 steps. And um, I think about six out of seven days I was doing it. Mm-hmm. All right. I've been doing it. Um, but just trying to make that something that is, that is every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I would like to read more books. Mm-hmm. That's, I don't know why it's been tough lately to do that. Mm. You know, yeah, probably because it's just everything I've been working a lot. You've been working a you lot. Know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, like 12-hour days. Yeah. Right? And which can be kind of depressing. Yeah. You know. So, I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe I won't have one. Because I feel like I'm already doing one. Doing a few. Right now. I'd like to see you. You know, we've talked about this before. But I'd like to see you increase your social engagement. You are not my therapist. I know I'm not your therapist. (laughs) You aren't my therapist. Um. Let, yeah. let me talk to my therapist about that. You don't have a therapist. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I think that would if if there was something that I could that I could suggest for you, it would be um, you know, finding a game night or something to get some um social interaction mm-hmm. and but um yeah. That's but you've you've done really well and you've you've created some really awesome habits and um, yeah. you've, you've made a lot of progress in making some changes. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so, so what did we're you think not of saying, this? I, I think it was great. I think it was really helpful. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that you'll, you'll use it. That's what I thought. Yeah. I, I, I think was, it's, this was a, a way of actually just telling me what, you wanted me to do. <laughs> no, I, I think it's a it's a it's a really effective tool. Even if you don't use it, just know more about it. Because I, I I think if you you know some of the people that we've met, therapists that we've met. Right. You know, and we talk about what models we use and that anytime, you know, everyone just loves this kind of scoff at C B T or behavioral mm. activation and Yeah. Um, a lot of the young A's associates do. Yeah. And it's like, eh, you know, I think there's, there's a place for it. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it's, yeah, um, it's important. Yeah. I, I mean, the, like I said, it's not as sexy as some of the, the newer models and um, it, it, it seems more, um, like old technology or, mm-hmm. or something. Right. Um, People but, using IFS. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking oh, about we, IFS. We don't talk about, it doesn't matter. I mean, basically it's, you know, a metaphor for the same stuff, but yeah, you know, I mean, that's what, um, yeah. And I, I think what I've learned is the, the advantage of an eclectic, um approach to things and that eclectic doesn't just mean you don't just cherry picking the things you like and not understanding the foundations of these right yeah Yeah, that's not what eclectic means eclectic means that you have a tool bag full of stuff right and when the person comes in 
in front of you, you have a wealth of knowledge and interventions and options to choose from to help this individual person. Right. And that's what I've really learned, you know, cause I came in kind of like, Oh, I'm this, I'm that I'm the other. And you know, when I, the first, I remember the first time I, I heard about, you know, when even before I was in school and you were talking about this, I was like, that's so cold and, you know, and, you know, learning about brief solutions, focus therapy. I was like, well, but what about the trauma and what about this? And what about that? And what about, you know, Mm -hmm. and then as I've worked with people, I have seen that what worked for me does not work for everybody. What I quote unquote like, doesn't work for everybody. I have worked with quite a few people who did not have the insight or the interest to do the work that I enjoy. Well, and what would you do if you're only going to work with a person for one hour ever? Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. I mean, are we going to, are we going to, you know, we have to do something brief. Yeah. uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I, I now see, the importance of these different models of understanding them of knowing of having a um you know a a broad portfolio or toolbox of things that I can use because I have gotten into situations with somebody and the tools I had did not work right um so knowing this is um is really is really helpful so, um, so, but you really feel like this is the type of work that, oh, okay. So one of the other things that, that we've kind of talked about is like the, the different interventions, the different models, like who is the perfect person for this model? Like who is the client that you think would benefit most from, it sounds to me like everybody can benefit from this. Yeah, I I think so. Or a form of it. I yeah, I I mean I think we would have to have some component of this no matter what, but um what what I've what I've found is that people again with that sort of like chronic depression that have a history of 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 not taking action. And right. we just sort of never had or lose the ability to take action that you just feel like you're we, spinning like yeah. this is probably a good and a lot of avoidance and we're just isolating ourselves we're not trying hard anymore mm-hmm. um you know we're, we're more defensive in what we do to try to minimize rejection or um anxiety right you know so I would say that's a, a lot of people yeah. where that happens and, and where you're really seeing the consequences of w- where their behavior is becoming controlled by uh, just avoiding bad feelings and, and fear and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so action is, is definitely the medicine for that. Yeah. Um, I think this would also be a good, a good, um, intervention to look at if you have hit like a plateau like if somebody's been making progress and then not and then you because sometimes you get into the middle of 
a treatment plan and you feel like you're not making progress. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, so maybe you've been making progress with, with cognitive restructuring, with, um, you know, values work, and, but then you've kind of hit uh, a place where you're not seeing progress. Right. This would probably a, be a good thing to, to throw in there. Right. Yeah. Um, let's see. Acute trauma. You know, or loss, you know, grieving, you know, the death of a partner or something like that. This necessarily, I don't, I, I don't think this would be the go-to right. strategy yeah. for that because, yeah, you know, we're, we're like, you know, action is happening in their lives, but, mm-hmm. you know, something else has just really thrown them. Right. Uh, you know, we're, so this wouldn't be a, a focus at all. We still got to make sure action is happening. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, but. Yeah, this is more for that sort of chronic, I think, chronic depression. Mm-hmm. I think it's or, really and good dysthymia. for, um, uh, like, as far as a treatment plan, like, for the beginning of a treatment plan, too. Like, and that's what CBT talks about a lot. Is with it, depression. With depression. Initial. Yeah, yeah, that we've got to get people mm-hmm. moving. Yeah, we've got to we get, get them. Action. We got to get them moving in the right direction and then we can go back and try to figure right. out how well, we got here. And we need that or... action because look how many times in CBT we use experiments. Yeah. And experiments require action. Yeah. Right. So, and it, so it's a, it, it sort of provides the fuel, I think, for a lot of the cognitive restructuring. Yeah. Because we can't just do cognitive restructuring on things that happened, you know, before we, we ever met. We got to do... Do it about here and now stuff. Right, yeah. Right. Um, a question. Do you, when you do this, do you teach people how to do this? On their own. At, as a, as yes. a skill? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't really talk about that much. But that's that's the whole idea is that they can do this on their own. Right. Right. So you're We're not just the doing process. this for them. No. You're. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we're just showing them like that you can you can do this, and you may come back to it if when you get depressed again. Right, and you know? when I think about like the wrap that I have or the wellness recovery action plan and that idea, that seems to be a this seems to be very much connected with that mm-hmm. because what wrap does is it walks you through the steps of creating a behavior activation plan, right? Basically. And behavior activation plans for different stages of your illness. Right. So, and one of the things that I think is really helpful about the RAP plan is that it's in your words. Like, I try, when I do a RAP with somebody, I try to have them write it themselves with their pen, their paper, and their handwriting. Because then it's you telling you what you need to do. Because it's a lot harder, and I think that's one of the one of the places where we kind of butt heads is that a lot of times it's you, you trying to tell me what I need to do versus me telling me what I need to do. Is that what is, I do? Is, is, uh, um, sometimes. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, it's, it's clear. It's obvious what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I'm avoiding it. Um, so, you know, when I look at my rap plan and there's my handwriting and me telling me what I need to do in this moment, it's helpful. And that's 
where I think, you know, teaching this as a skill mm-hmm. and helping people when they're well, when they get out of that really um, acute depressive state to create that plan for themselves is really helpful because when you go back in it's much easier telling yourself what you need to do this was me when i was well telling me what i need to do when i'm not well yeah um which can be really really powerful right so all right all right are we good we are everybody have a very happy holidays and um we will talk to you again next week all right